This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by This Is Not Church podcast and the letter F. And you. (laughs) (laughs) If you've made it this far, my name is Nat Turney, my brother John Turney, and I co-host This Is Not Church, the podcast. And this is sadly the level of discourse that you can expect to find if you tune in every Monday when we drop new episodes. But all joking aside, John and I see this as as an opportunity for us to address issues that we don't think are addressed nearly enough inside of evangelicalism. So LGBTQIA plus issues, BIPOC issues, social justice issues. We like to talk to a broad variety and range of people and really try to find places of commonality for everybody. So check out the podcast. Every Monday, our episodes drop. Wherever you stream podcasts, you can find us. Remember, this is not church. And to that, John says, peace. A bisexual hairstylist who escaped a cult, a black mystic, and a recovering evangelical. What could go wrong? This is the Messy Spirituality Podcast with Lola Robbins, Kyle Butler, and Jason Elam. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. My name is Jason, and I'm here with Lola and Kyle. Say hi, guys. Hi, I'm Lola. I watch too much YouTube, and I do the anti-Lola's Bible stories, and I love you so much. I don't know why I'm singing. <laughs> Wait, did this podcast just become a musical? It's a musical. <laughs> it makes me, we want to sing now. Come on, Kyle, keep it up. Come on. Maybe, oh, maybe I'll Kyle. rap. Can I, can I rap? Let me see. Can I rap something? My name is Kyle. <laughs> I'm from... No, I can't rap. No, I won't even try. It. <laughs> I, I know. That's the best I could do. Best I could do. Okay, heard that. But my name is Kyle, and, and I'm just... Uh, happy to be here with my wonderful friends, uh, sharing some hopefully encouraging positive news, and but also bringing a sense of you know reality to these stories that we we we've heard most of our lives. So, thank you for having me, or thank you for letting me, or what? How do I want to say this? You know, thank you, listeners, for listening. Yeah, that's what I want to say. Yeah, we are super grateful for all of you who listen. Thank you so much for letting us be a part of your week. We love having these conversations and we love hearing from you on the Messy Conversations group on Facebook, on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, the cool kids on the block have uh, TikTok. I do not because <laughs> I'm too old for that, my children tell me. But I'm uh, really super excited to hear from all of you who are listening. We're so grateful that you're a part of this podcast. You know, we have seen some pretty dramatic things unfolding in our world over these last few weeks. Uh, Lola, I know you had specifically mentioned that you wanted to tip our hat to the women of Iran. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? Yes. I just think the women in Iran at this point in history are just super badass, wonderful people. And uh, they're, they're rebelling against their government and, you know, their culture that's so heavily soaked with religion um, that really just makes them property to men. And they're rebelling against that. Um, and one way of doing that is not wearing their head coverings. And uh, unfortunately, we have had deaths and injuries to come from this. And you would think, I would think, at this point in history, we should be well past this bullshit that 
you can't have your hair down if you want to uh, in public. It just, I never thought I'd be so grateful to have my hair, you know, down flowing in the wind freely in public in front of other men. But yeah, so I just want to say power to you guys. Uh, I'm with you. If I was there with you, I would be dying with you. And I love you. And you're, you should be able to let your hair down. You just should. You too, Kyle. You should let your hair down. <laughs> yes, Kyle should definitely let his hair down. I'm working on that. Yeah, I'm okay. working on it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the women of Iran are super inspirational. And I, I'm just blown away by the courage where they will, you know, take off their hair coverings right in front of men who would beat them to death for it. And we've even seen like a school uprising where, you know, a religious instructor was chastising these kids for for uh, taking off their hair coverings. And the kids just rose up against him and just chased him off. It was incredible. Something big is happening. Yeah. The world is changing. It feels like humanity is taking another step forward. But, you know, just as wrong as it is for the religious leaders in Iran to insist on women having to wear these head coverings or cover, you know, really most of their bodies, except for their eyes. Um, it's just as wrong what they've done to Muslim women in France, where they've said they're not allowed to wear certain things that identify them with their faith. And both sides are wrong. We are for women's empowerment. We are for yes. the women having control of their own bodies yes. and their own being, their own agency. Yes. And so uh, both sides can be wrong. And we are just cheering on the women who are dancing in the face of death. I, I cannot even imagine what that must feel like. Some kind of fucking freedom. I mean, what a way to go out for those that have unfortunately lost their lives because they were on the right side of history. I'll say that. And it, women are such a force to be reckoned with. Also, I don't know if it's in Iran, this is a thing, but something about men don't want to be killed by women because it sends them to a bad place or something. Or Have you guys heard of that? I have not. Me either. Okay, so I, I'm pretty sure it's somewhere in the Middle East that there's this belief that a man cannot be killed by a woman or his soul is like disgraced or something and he won't get into heaven or like some heaven adjacent thing. So uh, I, I think it was back in 2016, there was some type of riot happening that was like a big deal. And they sent in troops that were just women in Iran and they, they were completely covered with all of their like, you know, typical headdresses and stuff and just decked out in tactical gear. They didn't even pull a fucking trigger. They just walked towards a bunch of troops of men and they all just, there's pictures of them retreated in fear, just absolute fear. Like the power of women over there is just unmatched, I think. Incredible. Yeah. I know we're like pretty anti-gun here, but like I just, they didn't even have to use it. <laughs> they just... That's real power right there. Yes, the, the power of the pussy, you know? That, that's that. So. Oh, Lola, leave it <laughs> to you. I felt, yes, I, felt I did. I want to crawl under my desk again. You had to do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, speaking of empowered women, it's time for another Auntie Lola's Bible story. Yay! Yay! What the fuck? 
Okay. So uh, first, let's just be clear that the Bible says no one is to practice, you know, witchcraft, sorcery, interpreting omens, uh, casting spells, mediums, spiritists, shit like that. Um, so we're talking about Saul, though. Uh, Saul is the first king of Israel, and he had forbidden conjuring spirits. However, at a certain point in time, he finds himself pretty desperate, where he wants to call up Samuel, who is a prophet that has died like a while ago. And he wants his advice, um, because Saul is in a bind with the Philistines that are just like on his ass about a bunch of stuff and are coming for him pretty much. So he goes and consults a witch. And I just want to say, it's funny how witchcraft is a no until God suddenly stops interacting with you. So uh, Saul consults a witch, um, but she's used to dealing with like a familiar spirit or a demon, uh, things like that, like a family member or something that's passed. But she can't really call somebody back from the dead so she does her ritual to try to uh, contact, make contact with Samuel. And then she's thinking to herself that it's not going to work. But suddenly Samuel appears and he's all like ghostly and white. And she's like, what the hell is this? And she starts screaming. And then uh, Samuel says, why the fuck did you guys wake me up? What do you want? <laughs> And Saul is like, hey, listen, the Philistines are, you know, they're mad at me and God won't talk to me. He went away. And so I just, I thought maybe you could help a little bit. And Samuel's like, uh, I don't know why you're asking me why God turned away from you. Uh, I'll just put it to you plainly as he spoke through me. And the, the Lord is, is carrying his hand from you because um, you didn't listen to him and you didn't carry out. Uh, his wrath, which is a whole other thing, God's wrath, didn't carry it out against Amalek and uh, he's done with you. And so God is actually going to give Israel into the hands of the Philistines. So tomorrow, you, your sons, everybody, you'll be with me. So I'll see you soon. Bye, bud. And then just like, dips the fuck out. <laughs> like, what kind of... <laughs> There's your ghost story of the day. <laughs> Samuel wow. Samuel wow. the fuck out on him. <laughs> After that, I think Saul like flings his body onto the ground in fear. Listen, just be nice to people. Well, yeah, so would I. If a ghost just told me I was going to die tomorrow, I would probably do the well, same thing. Well, I mean, she could have contacted somebody else. They, they, who knows if it really was Samuel? Who knows? But yeah. Hey, when I was a preacher in Christian services, I would say that that was a familiar spirit that appeared. Yeah to Saul and not the actual Samuel mm -hmm. because witchcraft isn't real is what I was saying back yeah. then. Yeah. So. Interesting. Kyle, what was your take on that story in your uh, Bible days? Well, my Bible days, it was don't do this. Like, this is bad. You like, know? don't touch anything bad to Saul. do with yeah, this, this is why Saul. Yeah, this is why Saul is the loser that he is and David's God's chosen one. Another, you know, because we, 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 we really vilified Saul. We really did. And, and we'd always, you know, to, to uplift David, we vilify Saul and we go to stories like that to, to really vilify Saul. But, you know, hearing that story today, man, that story is so troubling. And I like to go to the source of the trouble. The source of the trouble is not, is not Saul. It wasn't the witch. 
the source of the trouble is God. That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> like you're watching this whole thing play out, God. Right? God is why supposedly he's all present and all knowing or whatever, sees everything. You're watching Saul, your boy, who 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 you had Samuel anoint. You're watching him down here going cuckooville because you he can't hear you. And you're all knowing and you know what he's about to do. And you don't do anything to stop it. You don't, you don't say, where's your mercy? Where's your grace? Where's your love? Where's your, oh, this is my son. You know what? Let me just go talk to him. He's losing his mind. I ain't got nothing to do that. Uh, I ain't got nothing to do that. God is silent, ghost, whisper, nowhere. Until, of course, it's time to bring the punishments. Time to bring the pain. Then guess who appears on the scene with the voice? Kyle, I don't think I've ever heard you so like passionately excited about like the wrath of God and how horrifying it is. <laughs> you know, because on the other side, when I was on the other side, it's 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 viewed as righteous and holy and it's okay and these people should have known better. It's justified, like it's means to an end kind of thing when it comes to violence with God. Yeah, it's like 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 Saul, that's on you, buddy. That's on you, Saul. That that that's on you. Mm-hmm. You should have knew better. But now you're looking at you not now now that your mind is not indoctrinated, you're not programmed with that righteous nonsense. You can look at it and say, "Well, wait a minute. Who had the power here? Who had the real power here? Who could have stopped all this from happening? Who could have stopped it from going that far? All Saul wanted to do was hear from his hear God's voice. God damn, can't you talk to the man? He used to. Like it's insane. But of course. We can't blame God, right? We we can't we can't point the finger back at that God and say you were the issue here. Can't do that. Mm-hmm. But that's what we should be doing to call these stories for what they are. And if that's what God is, then why does anyone anyone want that God? Who wants a God that's going to go ghost on you when you need it the most, and then punish you for seeking an answer somewhere else? That's like a man cheating on his wife and then punishing the wife when he got called for cheating. I mean, I'm in agreement. I wholeheartedly agree. I love how Kyle just brings out this completely different perspective than you've ever thought of before. That's awesome. He always does. I never think of it from that. I guess from whatever angle Kyle is coming from, I never think of it that way. Well, in just a few minutes, we're going to have kind of an in-depth conversation on what happens after we die. Because at the end of the story, Saul doesn't just die. Saul takes his own life. Does he? He falls on his own sword. Uh, But he's about to be defeated in battle, doesn't want to be humiliated, falls upon his own sword. Now, is Samuel's voice playing in his mind as he does that? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Anyway, we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. Before we do, I've got a really fun conversation with author Daryl Epps. He's a poet from Canada who's got some really interesting... I'm not a poetry guy, but this new poetry book, Permanent Smoke, which is out and available right now, you're going to find a link to the site in the show notes to purchase your copy of the book. You're going to want one. Um, It's fantastic. And we're going to talk about art and its impact on the world. And then we'll be back to wrap up with a conversation on the afterlife. So here now is my conversation with Daryl Epp. 
Welcome to the Messy Spirituality Podcast, Daryl App. I am so excited to talk to you today, Daryl. Thanks for being on. Well, uh, thanks for having me. It's very, uh, it's very nice to meet you too. Uh, our buddy Keith Giles has told me all kinds of great things about you. As I told you before we hit the record button, this podcast is mostly Christian deconstruction stories. So we generally start with uh, spiritual upbringing. Uh, were you raised in an atmosphere of faith? I absolutely was. Um, obviously, I have a uh, Mennonite last name, which is hard to hide. I went to church every Sunday until I was old enough to uh, move out, and then I stopped. <laughs> that is a very familiar story. Yeah. Yeah. It's too bad. But when I think back, you know how you have those tactile sensations of church about how it's too hot and stuffy and you have to wear clothes that are scratchy. Mm -hmm. And you're like, why is it so bad if I want to sleep in, you know? And, right. uh, <laughs> you, so you grew up in the church. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of your piece, The Hard Road, which is in your new book, Permanent Smoke, which we're going to talk more about in a few minutes. But there's like this... Um, this cloud of Jesus and Clint Eastwood, like hanging over your young adult life or your childhood. Uh, can you unpack that for us a little bit? Can you talk us through that? All my life, I wanted to be a big shot. And instead, I've known nothing but failure after failure. And I always thought if I didn't win an Oscar or do something grand, I would just die of shame. And then, guess what happened? I got a coworker who's in his late 60s, and the only time he ever runs his mouth is to complain. And that kind of scared me straight. And I said, wow, I don't want to end up like that. I used to think it was important to be successful or, you know, fly to Mars or something. But then I'm like, tell me whatever it takes to not end up like this guy, where the only thing he can ever say is complaints and negativity. So then I thought, um, you know how you have to take piano lessons to learn how to play the piano? So I thought, okay, if it's, what if this thing takes training too? So then me and my wife kind of look for opportunities to be grateful. And um, that's a big thing where I'm at now, like uh, having her help me find things to be grateful for. So um, now you're talking, now basically my book, uh, at the end of it, it has a story called The Hard Road. And um, it's about a guy who wasted his life. Um, so you might say the story has some semi-autobiographical elements to it. And he has ideas in his head that he doesn't quite have the words for. And he's haunted by the Jesus from the uh, velvet portraits at the flea market and also Clint Eastwood, where he has this pressure on him to be a man to be something that he doesn't feel he can live up to. Sometimes when people are raised in a religious home, they kind of feel like they've uh, fallen for a bait and switch. Like, um, you know how Gorilla Glue doesn't work as well in real life as it does in the ads? Right, yes, absolutely. It doesn't. And then what's kind of funny is, uh, you know, the North American church sort of makes these claims. And then um, you're like, okay, what, let's say I accept your premise. I still 
will wake up tomorrow with the same decades of bad habits, the same physical and intellectual limitations, the same spouse. You said this would be more like Fantasy Island, where it's just some sort of magical, you know, transformation. Is that in the neighborhood of what struck you about the story or where are you going with it? Yeah, I just, you know, the the whole growing up in the shadow of, um, I, I think the part that resonated particularly with me is in the story, uh, you know, which is called Clint's story. You've got the dad having these expectations of a son, wanting this son to be Clint Eastwood. And the son's just not. The son would rather play uh, cook with the aunties than throw the football with the cousins. I don't know. There was something powerful about that for me. I think I kind of always grew up with that feeling. And so I wondered, you know, is that something that you had personally experienced? Or do you know somebody that you wrote this about? Or <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, um, I don't want to be like the magician who gives away all of his secrets. So the magic tiptoes out the back door. But yes, yes, yes. Uh, that actually, now that you mention it, there are certain parts of that guy's criminal record that aren't exactly things I've done, but that part is very much true. And one thing I'd like to say is that if there's anyone who, who's listening to this who wants to be a writer or they don't know what to write about or they feel creatively blocked in any way, back before COVID, when I was doing writer's workshops at libraries, when I always said, if you have or have writer's block, easy fix. Write about dad, because no matter who you are, no matter whether your dad was good, bad, or indifferent, every human has this profound, baffling, uh, never-ending, haunting relationship with dad. And um, there have been several times in my book when I'm like, I want to have that sensation of writing, but I'm stuck. And I, and I just give myself my own advice, talk about dad. Yeah, so certainly I remember being at family gatherings where men and women sat at different tables. As soon as I sort of, it became apparent, I was someone who's not handy, I'm not good at fixing things, and I was a more of an artistic person. You know, that was kind of a little problematic because it, it was a bit unusual and um, it's funny, I actually have friends who are teachers who have male uh, students who feel uh, drawn to the creative life, but they actually in 2020, in 2022, uh, have this issue where they feel that it's not manly somehow. So then um, they've actually called me and said, talk to these people and tell them, no, like if you feel joy from this, go for it. That's something that did kind of uh, strike out at me, where this vague memory I have, I had of being a kid and being torn in different directions, it's still going on with like kids today, right? Also, what's funny, do you know there's a cliche about when when a man goes in his forties, he has a midlife crisis, and <laughs> right. um, this cliche has a bit of truth to it. Where on the negative, it's like if it, like you know the the guy who overcompensates for his bald spot by by getting a convertible. <laughs> right. Right. Shiny red Corvette. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, um, I better break my marriage vows because I can do better and I want to have some excitement in my life. Right. There is a positive way to spin it too. When the midlife crisis happens, when a man is in his 40s and he suddenly kind of feels unmoored or like kind of 
where he just kind of wakes up and says, wait a minute, suddenly I feel adrift. I need something. Should I, you know, and they reach for the convertible or the status symbols. What's actually going on there is what if what's actually happening is it takes 40 years to shake off the 40 years of brainwashing that you've been subjected to. So actually, it's like when you're having a, a, that midlife crisis cliche, your eyes are opening for the first time. And sometimes a guy uh, or a man or woman wakes up in their 30s and they suddenly say, I only ever went to nursing school to make my parents happy. Right? I don't want that. I want to be a glass blower or a beekeeper. Like, you're, like, you're, like your life has chapters and... Um, if you want to be happy, you have to be in the chapter you're in. Do you know how you know people who are in their 40s and they make themselves look ridiculous by pretending that they're still in their 20s? Right. Right. Yes. Right. <laughs> it's like, hey, bro, you're in the wrong chapter. So you really have to think about, you know, what chapter you're in. And sometimes when you're having a horrible day or a horrible year, what you should do is say to yourself, this is this is pretty stinky, but just it's because a chapter is ending and a new chapter is beginning. So I recently talked to people who had career changes because they said, yeah, I, I can't live my whole life on earth just to make my parents or my, you know, aunts and uncles happy. So anyhow, back to the hard road for people who are listening. In the story, there's a guy who is sort of uh, torn between what he wants to do in life and what path he wants to go. And, you know, there's actually, a, this sounds funny, but the novel uh, called uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is surprisingly short. And in the last chapter, it's actually Dr. Jekyll's goodbye letter, where suddenly he can't control the transformations between good and evil. And there's a bit where he realizes that um, humans are not one, they are two, and that inside of a person, there are all these people struggling for dominance. And to, to tie into your show, when you say to people, if you say the, this certain sentence, that counts as being born again, and then suddenly your whole life's trajectory will change, that's a bit shady and a bit sort of you know psychologically naive, right? Because um, a person is uh, a matrix of all these endless threads, like a prism, right? It's like, you know how you think you are you, a person named Jason, and you have memories, right? You possess memories of, of the year 2000, okay? But if all those memories went away, where would you be? You wouldn't be there. So it's like, you don't have memories. You are memories. So to go up to a stranger and say, man, you're a mess. You need to say the, the, uh, the uh, sinner's prayer. And then suddenly you'll get this magic ticket. Maybe you should spend a bit, you know, like it's, like it's a bit actually reductive. So yeah, so the, the narrator in The Hard Road, it's kind of like, I guess you might say that movie Five Easy Pieces with Jack Nicholson, where the Jack Nicholson character has... Um, a high-functioning family who puts this pressure on him and he can't really live, live up to it. So he sort of becomes a blue-collar drifter with this rage kind of boiling under the surface that he sort of um, doesn't really give much vent to. 
And um, I think there's a lot of people like that. Like I certainly have had coworkers where they just feel like their life never really unfolded the way they wanted to. Or if they'd had some sort of more courage at some certain junction, they might have had something different. And now they're just on this like slow boil, you know, rage. Is, is there a way for us to circumvent that taking place in our lives? I mean, it seems like, you know, you were talking about midlife crisis and that sounded like almost like a shedding of other people's expectations that we waited 40 years to confront. Is there a way around that or is that just a part of the process? <laughs> it's funny because I, I, I felt like I was getting kind of uh, grim there and then, uh, yeah, now I better have some good news for you. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> um, see, I think, see, I think the news is all good. First off, aging is inevitable, right? Like, you know how our culture is really geared towards youth and, um, getting old is some huge scandal that you should use plastic surgery to hide when if it's universal and it's inevitable, first off, who cares? Plus, there's all sorts of benefits to it. Like, as you get older, you have a better idea of who you are and what pleases you. Like, at the age I am now, I'm not going to run away and join the circus tomorrow. But it, but when you're dealing with, eight, with like, 18-year-olds, uh, like, good Lord, imagine being 18 and they're like, oh, you can do anything. You can be an astronaut. And like, no, I can't. And it's like, what you decide now will determine whether you'll be a famous piano player or an astronaut or a mover and shaker and don't waste your potential and all that stuff, right? And then once you get to be our age, it's like, well, that ship has sailed. And um, a lot of that anxiety has kind of passed you by where, like I said before, like I'm really lucky when it comes to wives and uh, she's always been really big on um, being thankful. And I think that as you age, you should be more aware and more um, plugged into finding things to be thankful for. And literally start, you know, join your local bird washing club, literally. Okay. It will help you be more grateful. And um, that's the best thing you can possibly do. And um, this is funny too. Like, um, you know how a lot less people go to church than they did back in the good old days, right? Right. Yeah. And um, there is one problem with that. If you go to a shopping mall, or you go onto the internet, which is popular with the young people these days, I hear. Um, <laughs> yes. You will be given endless opportunities to feel frightened by current events. You will be given endless opportunities to be uh, aroused by strangers, to be greedy, acquisitive, but... Those places will never give you any opportunity or incentive to be grateful. And if you go to a church on Sunday morning, there's a guy with a big hat and a cape who says, stand up, whether you feel like it or not, and say, I'm grateful for air. I'm grateful for the gift of life, the gift of uh, my spouse you know, in front of your neighbors, right? And that's the only place you can get that. 
So that's something that is that is kind of missing, you know. You've given us so much to think about today, Daryl, and I have really enjoyed our time together. Uh, well, before we go, I want to talk uh, about Permanent Smoke. It's available now, published by Choir. It's your fifth book, I understand. Is that right? It is my fifth book. And you do talk a lot about technology and the changing uh, culture around us in this book. Do you want to unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah, sure. I remember people saying to me or remarking on, they thought it was interesting how um, in my writing, brand names appear and um, fictional characters appear. And they thought that was interesting. And I thought, well, what planet are you living on? Where it's like, just imagine try, try get going for five minutes without seeing an ad. Okay. And, um, I thought I want to write true, uh, truthfully about this present moment. And I have this problem where the character in the story, the hard road, my, my life trajectory has been uh, sabotaged by my daydreaming about fictional characters. So, uh, why not just uh, lean into that and go for it and say, I don't think I'm the only one. By dealing with that head on, I hope I inspire the reader to do what I said before, pay attention to your surroundings because otherwise your mental real estate, that landscape will quickly be colonized by Disney, Hollywood, or bad people who don't have your best interest at heart. So when I started writing poetry, I thought, this is really cool. And this sounds corny because I'm not the first person to ever say this. The first poem that ever made me fall in love with poetry is called Alone. And it's written by Edgar Allan Poe. And this poem, A-L-O-N-E, I read it and I thought, that has everything I want in a poem. Wouldn't it be cool someday? To, impre- to make someone feel the way that poem made me feel, okay? This poem, every line has a surprise, okay? Oh, you know, uh, um, Bob Dylan has a song called Mississippi, okay? And when he wrote that song, he said to himself, what if I wrote a song where every line was strong enough to be an opening line. And that's the song Mississippi. Okay. So when I read Alone by Edgar Allan Poe, every line had a surprise. It had an, it had imagery that you'd never seen before. It wasn't corny or stale. And when you first read it, it sounds like a real sort of confession, like a guy spilling his guts to you. But then actually when you take it apart, it's actually full of craft. He just hid the wires. Great opening line, great last line. I thought, that's awesome. But then when I kept on writing poems, I thought, this is actually a really good way to simulate what it's like to be alive. Where, do you know how when you're out walking and your body is going from here to the 7-Eleven, during that time, it is as easy for you to think about a fictional character as it is to think about a real person. And it's as easy for you to think about the past as the future. Isn't that interesting? So if I said to you, write a novel about what you did today, how much of that would be, oh, I moved my body from the 7-Eleven 
to home and then to the Walmart and then to the post office. And how much of the most important parts of your day happened between your ears? So when you're writing that novel, what do you put in and what do you leave out? And the technical word for that process is uh, style. So I thought, isn't it funny how you'll be walking and suddenly you'll be like, oh, wow, why am I suddenly thinking of that girl from 1997? I haven't thought about it for for, uh, years. I didn't tell myself to start thinking about her, and yet here I am. That's interesting. And again, try to get through your day without singing a song to yourself that you hate, or Coke is it, or all these like slogans from advertising that you've heard millions of times, right? You know how, how a fish doesn't know it's wet because that's all they know. The fact that you can't go for a walk without seeing an ad, that is actually deeply, deeply weird. And whatever you think it is, it's not nothing. It's something. So again, um, as I said before, um, this is in my book. And if I talk about this directly, I just sound like a, like a crazy person, <laughs> which is why I, uh, anyhow... I think that ship has sailed in terms of... Uh, but um, so I thought, what if I just present readers with the problem and then just leave it, right? And um, I'm always a big fan of talking up to the reader where as you say, oh, this is why you should become born again or subscribe to my newsletter. As soon as you say that, it becomes inert because it only has one meaning. But... Um, you read The Hard Road and it meant something to you. So that's great. It's your story. And the nice thing about art is that as soon as I hit publish, I'm not the expert. Where if you tell me that The Hard Road is about this thing that happened in Florida, I'm like, yeah, great. It's out there. It's yours. Go for it. You know, And that's what you want, right? And um, this is where we're at. Um, life is very strange and it's getting stranger. And... People want you to feel agitated. Uh, what the hell for? What good is that going to do? There are some things you can change and some things you can't, right? But if you sit down today and start writing and say what you're grateful for, say what bothers you, that is your way, at the very least, of reclaiming a bit of your uh, mental landscape and preventing it from being colonized by people who don't have your own best interest at heart anyhow. Wow. Well, I have really appreciated this conversation. I love the book, Permanent Smoke. Congratulations. I saw that it was a number one bestseller in its category on Amazon. That's something. A lot of people are appreciating it. Uh, You've had incredible reviews already. And I know it just got released uh, a few days ago. So thanks for your time today. We're going to have a link to the book, Permanent Smoke, in the notes of this episode. I'm also going to stick a few other links in there. Uh, one to the song Mississippi by Bob Dylan and the Alone by Edgar Allan Poe. We'll have a link in the show notes as well. So you can acquaint yourself with the things that Daryl's been talking to us about today. Daryl, thank you so much for your time and for writing this book. I'm very grateful to have you as a reader. Thank you very much. And we're back. So we were talking earlier about Saul falling on his own sword in battle. Uh, so that he could go and uh, in the Jewish mindset, they believed they would go and rest with their fathers. 
Of course, the Christian mindset, the prevailing mindset in the culture we live in is that when you die, you either go to heaven or hell. And so I'm really interested to hear from both of you tonight. What do you think happens after we die? Yeah, I'll keep it real short. I, I think no one knows for sure, of course. We're all speculating. But I've, I've, I've listened to a lot of NDEs, near-death experiences. And there's one common thread through all of them. And it is this. I left my body. I was surrounded by a presence of love that I can't explain. And I knew that this is where I came from. And I knew that this is who I was. And I've listened to so many different NDEs that all that, that talk about that commonness. Now, they, they say different things along the way, but that is the one common thread through most of the ones I've heard. No one, no, well, there's some out there that talk about, oh, I saw Jesus, oh, I saw heaven, and I have the pearly gates, and you know, I'm not going to tell them they didn't. But the ones I've listened to don't talk about anything like that at all. And I don't, I don't necessarily pick out these because you can't tell from, from the YouTube videos what they're going to really say, right? But um, they, they just talk about being in this place surrounded by a love they can't explain and often a light that is so pure and things of that nature. And so uh, maybe because they're near-death experiences and they're, they're going to come back to life, maybe they just get a kind of glimpse of that. But there's one that, I, that maybe impacted me the most. And, and this was a guy who did have a Christian background and he was driving his family home from a visit with his parents. He fell asleep while driving, got into a really horrible accident his wife died. His new, his you know, baby that was only a few months old died. He got incredibly injured, and his second, his first son came out totally unharmed. But in the NDE, Jeff says that when he was up in this place, behind him walks a presence that was so strong, and he just kind of knew this is God. And he was expecting God to be the God that he had learned about here on the earth. He was expecting God to say, Jeff, you blew it, son. You fell asleep. You, you, you dropped the ball here. You, you know, you, this is all your fault. He was expecting that. But he said, I just felt tremendous love and I felt no judgment whatsoever. So, and I'm, I'm listening to this and I, I just felt like I was there, like having this experience with him. And I walked away from that believing that whatever a God is, for me, it has to be nothing but pure, unconditional, judgment-free love. And that this is where we're all going to return to, this place of pure, unconditional, judgment-free love. And it's nothing like any version of a God we have been told about here. And 
that's what I think happens when we die. We reconnect with our origin, where we came from. I believe we all came from this love source. I believe that's who we are, and I believe that's what we all go back to. That's my version. Wow. Lola, how about you? What do you think happens when we die? Well, first of all, Kyle, uh, I was just like hypnotized by that story. But comic relief, I, when you were talking about like the, the like feeling that like person falling behind them, I imagined Mr. Clean just very vibrant, <laughs> um, walking by, behind that person. Um, Mr. Clean, Mr. Clean. I like, I, I shit, you know, it's all I can visualize, but I really enjoy that too. Whether or not it is Mr. Clean, that sounds like a good time to me. Um, when we die, I never really had given much thought to reincarnation before, but I'm leaning more towards it now as I'm getting older. For some reason, it just makes more sense to me when it comes to like reaching a higher, a higher self, a higher consciousness. Something about it seems appealing and it seems sensible. However, I have a human mind and I can't wrap it around uh, many things very often and very well. But if it's not reincarnation, I don't believe in a hell. I just don't think that happens. And I know that that can be hard to come to grips with, especially when it comes to people that uh, have killed a lot of people, have uh, sexually assaulted a lot of people, and just done some not great things. Uh, It can be hard to think of them also sharing in a good place with the rest of us that we deem as, as good. So I, I know that's hard to, to grasp and you don't have to grasp it if you don't want to. It's just, it's just what I'm thinking. Um, I don't think that there's a bad place or a hell. Um, that's why reincarnation makes sense. Cause like you live a bad life, you turn into a bug that eats boop or something. Like it, it just seems, I guess, fair. But I just want to describe to you what I imagine heaven will feel like. Is that okay with you guys? Because I don't really know what it would look like or anything. I I imagine that it would feel like, you know, when you're having a conversation with someone that you just don't want it to end. Or you're reading a book and you just don't want it to end because it's so good. I feel like it's that. Or it's, um, you know, uh, when the room is really cold and then you put on like something warm and that first like hug of warmth, like that feeling, that's like the first like comfort before it kind of fades away to like just a normal body temperature. It's like, it's that. Um, the, the first time that you taste something really good, if you taste some food that's really good, but like you can never have that first experience again, I feel like you'll have that experience constantly like you'll never be immune to it kind of thing which is just really cool to imagine i just i've been thinking about this recently since i asked you know or brought up the idea for us to talk about and i just keep finding all these like really nice feelings that we get to experience like a little taste of a little touch of while we're here on earth and i think about that feeling but just lasting as long as you want it to and yeah, I just, I think that would be awesome. But I'm not in charge of the heaven stuff. So 
I don't know. No one's really survived death to tell us. And I, I don't really think I'm inclined to believe people that sit, like people that have died on the table and come back. I mean, <laughs> I'm not that inclined to believe them just because what is that thing called? DMT or some, some chemical that happens when you die. It's just very potent, very strong. And it makes you see and hear things and experience things. And I think whatever you're imagining death and the afterlife to be like, that drug probably just heightens it. Like that, yeah, that chemical probably just heightens it a lot more. So I don't know, but (laughs) I'm not inclined to believe them. Like there was something, some book and like, I think it was a movie too that came out early 2000s about some little kid that died and came back. Heaven is for real. Heaven is for real. And everyone was just losing their fucking minds over it. And I was like, uh, I don't think I can subscribe to that. Oh, and then there was that other book, 30 Seconds in Hell or something like that. Right. That was incredibly popular that that the author actually came back and retracted the whole thing and said, yeah, I kind of made it all up. And one of those heaven is for real. I don't know if it was that particular book or another one that was kind of like that, where a child has an issue, dies on the table, goes to heaven, comes back and tells the story about it. His dad writes the book. Uh, It came out later from the publisher that dad made the whole thing up. The kid said that it never happened. Are you shitting me? What? Okay. Okay. That's fine. Just everything's a lie. So see why I'm not inclined to believe this? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let me take a completely opposite perspective on that, oh, Miss no, Lola. He believes in hell. Oh God! <laughs> burn, baby, burn. Let me it's tell you. When I was twelve years old and died on the operating table, dead serious. I'm telling the truth. I died on the operating table when they were taking my tonsils out. They gave me too much of the anesthetic, and my heart couldn't handle it. And I had one of those tunnel experiences. And I knew in that moment, and I'm, I'm 12 years old, but I knew that everything was okay. That no matter what happened to me, whether I died or I lived, I would be okay. Because I was in the presence of absolute love that Kyle just talked about. And there was a figure at the end of that tunnel and I, in my mind, I've always thought of it as Jesus, but I know that's my upbringing. Uh, and the light was coming from the figure. But in that light, I knew that there was never anything I could do that would make that figure stop loving me. That I was absolutely accepted. And that I had a choice. I could come back or I could stay. But I knew that my life wasn't over. I knew that there was purpose. I knew that there was something for me to do that mattered, that my life mattered. And I woke up thinking it was a dream, like you were just talking about, just some brain chemical, you know, that's released in your body uh, during surgery. And then I overhear my mom talking on the phone to her best friend about how they had lost me on the operating table and had to use those paddles to bring me back. Wow. And... So I didn't have, yeah, there's an incredible NDE survivor uh, by the name of Nancy Rines. Kyle, you may have seen her story. She was bicycling and got hit by a car and um, still, still conscious on the hood of the car, but the person who's driving the car who is typing on their cell phone 
as Nancy is on the hood of their car after she's been hit on her bicycle. Just keeps typing away, doesn't even realize they've hit somebody and starts to make a turn until Nancy ends up under the tires of the car and dies. This is the worst story I've ever heard. (laughs) It gets better. Quickly, quickly. (laughs) Okay. And so she has one of those near-death experiences and she talks in great detail about the teacher that was there with her. And she, she talks about how God is, is not like a singular being. It's like a community. And this teacher was a part of that community of knowledge who came to, and just sat there for days on end answering her questions about life and why things happen. And she talks about coming to this point where you confront or you're confronted by all the people you've hurt in your life and you yeah. get a chance to make amends. Yep. You get a chance to apologize yeah. and to unburden yourself from the pain that you caused. And so when I think of the afterlife, even for, you know, you were talking earlier, Lola, about what happens to, you know, murderers and rapists. and Hitler is the one we always hear about, right? Well, if there's not a hell, then there's no justice because what about Hitler? Well, what if Hitler gets confronted in the afterlife with the victims of the Holocaust? If he sits there and sees the pain that he caused and sees the devastation and the emaciated bodies and the hopelessness and the despair that he brought to the world that has never been the same, if, if he's confronted with that in his right mind, which he certainly wasn't in when he was living, I think that can be redemption. I think something powerful can happen. And so, Kyle, this is really interesting because you and I are on really different uh, planes spiritually, I think, right now. You know, me sticking with Christianity and you evolving beyond it, I think. Uh, But I I love your spirituality and I think it's awesome and positive and life-giving. But it's really cool that I think we're probably in exactly the same place when it comes to the afterlife. You know why? Because I see, I just don't believe that any religious version of what they say God is, is what God is. So I, I just announced all religious versions, the Christian version, the, Buddhist, the, uh, the, the, the Muslim version, the Taoist version, whatever version there is. I just don't believe any of those versions are real. I, now, I, I, I know the Christian narratives extremely well. And I've given them tremendous thought over the years. And so I'm able to offer a different perspective to these narratives because I don't think that when a person is indoctrinated, they can see the other side of, well, if this is true, then it also means this. But as far as every single person being a spiritual being created in that light and love image of our source, I believe that with all my heart. And I believe that transcends Christianity and, and, and uh, Islam and, you know, Hinduism and whatever, whatever, whatever. I believe that, you know, all these religions are just man-made uh, based upon man's own ideals and concepts and beliefs and people decide where they want to project their faith to or give their faith to, you know, and that that's just how I see religions in general. But as far as a a being... We're just one being 
I believe we all came from one place, one source that I do honestly and sincerely believe that love, that places, that source is pure, unconditional, judgment-free love. I believe that's who we all are. And that's what we're all capable of. And I do believe that the journey continues, whether through reincarnation, whether through, whether through experiencing some other type of life form in another galaxy or dimension or whatever, because I can't believe that with all of this universe and all of the galaxies and all of the dimensions that they are, that we're the only life force out here in it all. And maybe perhaps we get a chance to, after this experience, say, you know what, now I want to go over there and try to and do this experience. And then maybe after that one, I want to go over there and do that one. And then maybe after that one, you know what, maybe I'll come back to Earth and do this one again. You know, maybe it's something like that because I do believe we're eternal beings. We're energy. We, we can't be destroyed. We'll never be destroyed. We're eternal. So I just think there's a, a endless amount of possibilities after this one. I just denounce all the religious possibilities. <laughs> no, and I think that's great. I think that's really life-affirming. I think that's, um, there's something so powerful about believing that we all come from the same place and we all return to the same place. And that's exactly the place that I've landed. And I think it's so cool that you and I, who might disagree on the, the details of it all, but we, I, I love that we've ended up in the same place because it, it, makes, it makes me think that, um, you know, there's hope for everybody. Yes. There's hope for everybody yeah. to come to a positive place. And we don't all have to agree on the details. No, no. But we can all agree uh, we can all get behind the idea of pure, unadulterated, non-judgmental love and acceptance for all. And maybe if we start to believe that that's what we're made of and that's what we're from and that's where we're going, maybe we could start to treat each other that way while we're here. Exactly. It's the one natural thing about us all. Love is the one natural thing about everyone. Everything else after love is learned. Everything. Love is the one natural thing we all are, we all know, we all are capable of doing naturally. It's the one thing that we're born with and we also get to die with, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. I appreciate both those perspectives that you guys have on the afterlife, for sure. It's just fun to dream, you know. It is fun to dream. We don't, we don't know. And it's just like, since stepping out of the box of, you know, conservative Christianity, it's just really nice to be able to freely dream about the possibilities. It's nice. And isn't it cool that we get to do that in a judgment-free zone? Bingo. Yeah. Talk about these things and nobody's questioning one another or saying you don't belong or any yeah, of that. No one's it's getting really angry cool. and I'm not talking to you anymore. I'm blocking you all. Although I was going <laughs> to block Lola once when I found out she was a former MAGA. I got a blast. I, I'm leaving. Just, goodbye. There's the door. Here I go. This has been ammunition. I've given you ammunition. I didn't even know it. Oh, that's hilarious. All right, friends, we want to know what you think. So chime in on the Messy Conversations group on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram wherever you do your social media, we would love to hear from you. What do you think happens after we die? Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Messy Spirituality Podcast. 
and give us a rating or review on your podcast platform of choice. We love that you listen. We love you. We're so grateful for you. Y'all have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Love you.